Hey again, everybody, and welcome back in to Locked On Bama. Luke Robinson, that's me, and Jimmy Stein, that's him. Jimmy, how are you today? Just trying to uh, get ready for Christmas. Man, it'll sneak up on you. As much as Christmas stuff as we've been doing for two weeks, it's hard to believe, but it's right here. Yeah, you know, it does just sort of come out of the woodwork. I mean, you're sitting there wondering if it's ever going to get here, and the next thing you know, it is here. And uh, you hadn't bought your wife the shit she wanted. (laughs) That's true. I'm wondering if maybe uh, uh, the Christmas people can do us a solid. Now that there's an early signing period, like as late as December 18th, can we move Christmas? Because it's it's too hard to do the early signing period and then Christmas right on top of it. I mean, how in the world can we focus on the early signing period and, and then do Christmas like a week later. So uh, no, we're just going to have to move Christmas, point. I guess. Yeah. No, that's a good point. I feel like, you know, we've 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 moved along enough in our society to know that the uh, the the birth of our Savior is is maybe not quite as important as a signing day, right? I mean, <laughs> I'm saying that very sarcastically, people. Nobody get offended. <laughs> it's a joke here at Christmas time. Forgiveness and all those things. Uh, but um, that's Christian story since Jonah and the whale. <laughs> that's one that'll stick with you, won't it? Uh, it obviously has. Yeah. Um, so you know, here we are, right here at Christmas. You might be listening to this on Christmas Day. I assume, Jimmy, uh, you and I, we may not have time to do this tomorrow or or Christmas Day. We might. I mean, who knows? We don't know. I've got to go pick up several of my children from various locales. Um, So, I mean, I'll be in and out. And, you know, I guess we'll just text and see what we can do. But, you know, there's not a ton to discuss right now. We've sort of hashed and rehashed signing day. You know, I was trying to think, hey, what do you think about when you think about Alabama and Christmas? And this may be the weirdest memory, but I remember the 1985 Aloha Bowl, which, again, I have done no research. I just remember it's being on Christmas Day. I feel like it was on Christmas Day. Alabama played USC, and I remember Al Bell taking a reverse for a touchdown. And that's really all I remember from the game other than Alabama won. That was, you know, I was only about 13 years old. So, I mean, I'm not going to have the most vivid of memories from it. And I wasn't at the game. Um I just remember I watching it at my grandmother's Christmas, house. I believe it was Christmas night. Well, it was played during the daytime there, and it was yeah. night. <clears throat> That's right. I believe here, and I have a specific memory because it was the uh, very first time I ever went deer hunting in my life, and uh, and I went with my friend and his family to their deer hunting camp, and uh, I remember watching the Aloha Bowl the night before the first hunt, and that year for Christmas, I asked for and got a bunch of hunting stuff. So. That's why I remember it so well. And I think Gene Jelks may have been the MVP and may have had a big a big game. I mean, I was maybe 15 years old, so I I don't. But I think Gene Jelks was the MVP. You know what? I'm going to I'm going to Google it right now as we talk. I mean, you know, I don't want anybody to think that we do research or anything. Um, (laughs) But yeah, Alabama did beat the hell out of USC 24 to three. I don't remember. It being that bad, but I guess it was. It was three to three at halftime. Gene Jokes was the MVP on offense. Bennett Biscuit was the. Oh my God, we had Al Bell Biscuit, uh, G Bus. Um, yeah, Al Bell. 
Al Bell had a 14-yard touchdown run. I said it was long. It felt like it was longer than that. Maybe he didn't score on the Dean one. Dean Jones was of. a true freshman running back, and, and so was Humphrey on that team. Yeah. That was the Van mm-hmm. Tiffin kick year. Um, and it's weird because I guess Alabama came into yeah. the game 8-2-1. and one. God, I mean, it, it – if an Alabama team with Gene Jelks, Al Bell, Mike Shula, um, and I guess Bobby Humphrey yeah, was what on it the is, team. We, we think of some of those guys as better <laughs> than they were because we were kids. And, uh, you know, I mean, I mean, you can't just judge a guy on the lack of an NFL career, but a lot of those guys I think we think of as great players from our childhood we're really good players at Alabama and starters and they helped us win, you know, a lot of games, but then they weren't, they weren't NFL players even back then when there was a 14 round draft. Well, Jimmy, <laughs> you know, and uh, I'm looking, I'm looking at this. It wasn't on Christmas. It was December 28th. How the hell did we both really? miss that? Man, we, we totally both. Cause I would have sworn that was Christmas. Night. I would have sworn. I guess, on I guess I everything. That was trip. I just ruined my damn Christmas memory. (laughs) (laughs) Shit. Yeah. I wish I hadn't done any research. Yeah. Christmas memory. I thought I had is just obviously not a, not something that, that really happened. It must've happened after, it must've happened after Christmas. Well, I mean, yeah, December 28th is after Christmas. Well, well, now that I think about it, even when I was 15, I have a hard time believing I would have gone somewhere on Christmas day away from my parents. Christmas was sort of Christmas was still sort of a big deal for mom and dad when you're 15. So uh, yeah. maybe that does make more sense. But I'm with you, dude. I would have sworn that was the night of December 25th. You know why? Because the Aloha Bowl now that Hawaii. I don't even know that they have an Aloha Bowl, but the Hawaii Bowl, the bowl that they play in Hawaii, has been on Christmas Eve for for years now. So maybe that's why. Yeah in our heads we associate it with christmas because that's when the hawaii bowl is played these days hey how about this too i didn't and again i i really 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 started getting into alabama football i mean i was into it probably in like 86 87 somewhere in there um but this year 1985 and i remember uh the al bell's catch against georgia to win the game we all remember tiffin's kick that was Labor um, Day. I'm getting that holiday yeah. right. That was Labor That's Day. That's 100 percent Labor Day. And I'll never forget the tie at LSU 14-14 because we scored kind of late. Um, and I remember my, we were at the in Destin, and my parents had a condo at the time. And my dad went right up to the TV screen. And he said, I don't give a shit, win, lose, or draw, go for two. And of course, Ray Perkins <laughs> kicked the extra point. And so we tied, which was kind of, I mean, it really was kind of bullshit. Um but that yeah. team, if if you talk about that tie, that team was five points away from being undefeated. It, at Penn State, they lost 17-19. Against Tennessee at Legion Field, they lost 14-16, to and they tied LSU. I mean, that team was right there uh, being undefeated, and they played their, – their schedule that year was A&M non-conference, Penn State non-conference, um, at Memphis State, which, I mean, again, Memphis State was Memphis State, but still yeah. you're going to Memphis for some freaking reason. Um, <laughs> Cincinnati, those are the – and Southern Miss. We had Texas A&M, Penn State, Memphis State, and Southern Miss, and Cincinnati. We had five non-conference games, and our conference games were at Georgia, 
you know, number 20, Tennessee. Auburn was number seven when we played them at number 15, LSU. Holy shit, that team, you know what? That team may go down as like the 2010 team of disappointments for the decade, that particular decade. Yeah, you know what's kind of weird in those old days? It's so long ago. Things have changed so much over the years. Back then, you only played six conference games. That was it, six. But but they were scheduled by you. You pick and choose. It's not mandatory and automatic like the conference schedules are now. So back then, even though Alabama only played six conference games, a lot of the time Alabama was playing the toughest teams in the SEC back then. Those are the games that, that we were playing. And even though we played six, we weren't – you could have just played Mississippi State and Vanderbilt and Ole Miss and, and teams that weren't competitive in that era, but but we didn't. I mean, that, that 85 schedule speaks for itself. The 85 and – I remember the 86 schedule was crazy hard. Uh, oh, it was That brutal. was one of the toughest schedules in Alabama history. I remember even having the opportunity to ask Ray Perkins once. I was at a thing and talked to Coach Perkins, and I remember asking him, I'm like – do you think that 86 team was a national championship contender that just played an impossible schedule? And, and, and he's, he's like, no, no, he, he didn't think that. I mean, but he, he thought the team was very, very good in the schedule. He, he agreed that the team was very good and the schedule was very hard. Uh, but, you know, you make those schedules years in advance and, and sometimes it just comes out like, whoa. I mean, look at the Alabama basketball schedule right now did we know did we know richmond was going to be this good i mean this good i think you schedule smartly and you schedule non-conference games that are winnable but won't kill you when it comes selection time but i don't think we knew that richmond was going to be this good yeah we got there and uh exactly uh, no, I'm looking at the 86 schedule now, and I remember everybody remembers the Ohio State kickoff classic game. And I'll tell you a funny story about that. My parents went to it with some friends of theirs. And when they came back, they brought something back as a gift for all the kids uh, a little thing called laser tag. We had never heard of it. it. You know, it wasn't like the internet where you're like, oh shit, this is like it was the first time anybody had heard of laser tag, you know, in Alabama probably. And they bring it back from their trip to New York and New Jersey. And it was the most fun shit for like a week and a half. Oh my God, it was awesome. Uh, but everybody remembers that game because Derek Thomas had two pretty infamous pass interference calls late. That Ohio State team was ridiculous with Keith Byers and um, uh, Chris Carter. I mean, they they, they were pretty sick. Chris Spielman was on that team. Oh, wow. Um, and then, so yeah, and we, of course we played Notre Dame in Legion Field and beat the hell out of them. Uh, big punt return for a touchdown by Gene Jelks, and of course the sack by Biscuit uh, at Tennessee. We beat them fifty-six to twenty-eight, and then the next week we're in Tuscaloosa, and I was I was at that game, um, and I remember thinking, okay, you know, this this is this is here we go national championship. We're number two. Penn State comes in um, and behind DJ Dozier and just beats the piss out of us. Now, of course, they go on to win the national championship, but. They just beat our brains in twenty thirty three, and then um, we go win at Mississippi but you State. Have to and then wonder we played- if the cumulative, the cumulative <laughs> nature of the schedule had beaten us up to the fact that maybe that's why Penn State was that much better than us. Now they were the national champions, so give them that. But you, you wonder playing crazy tough game after tough game. Could you imagine now 
with our oh. eight-game SEC schedule if you played in addition to your eight SEC games you also played Ohio State, Penn State, and Notre Dame? And Memphis State and Southern Miss. I mean, that's, you know, that's pretty damn ridiculous. But uh, And then the game against LSU, and I remember this too, watching on TV. I wasn't at this game, but I remember it was on TV. It was at Legion Field. Bobby Humphrey goes over the top. And I thought he crossed the plane, but he fumbles as he goes over the top. And there's no review then. So they just call it a fumble, and Alabama loses 14 to 10. And, of course, Lawyer Tillman's reversed that year. Alabama loses the Iron Bowl. So they lost to the national champ by 20. That's an ass whooping. But they lost by four each to LSU and Auburn at Legion Field, by, by the way. All the losses were at home that year. Uh, and then we go to play Washington and just beat the fire out of them. So, I and mean, that was just, a good wash. That was a really good Washington. That was a really good Don James Washington team. And uh, that Auburn team uh, that we lost to was really good. I mean, that, oh, yeah. that, that, those <laughs> Auburn teams were unreal in the 80s. The only – questionable loss was that LSU loss, you know, in terms of like losing to maybe somebody we shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but when you play, I'm telling, I've, I've told people this all, all the time, there's a cumulative effect to a tough schedule. It, it, it just adds up the, the bruises, the bumps, the stress of playing a big time team every single week. It, it's just too much for most college age teams to, to just play you you can literally schedule yourself right out of a chance to uh, to play for a championship. Um, and I'm not advocating lining up a bunch of cupcakes because you can schedule yourself out of playing for a championship that way too. If I mean, for instance, had Baylor, Baylor, which played nothing but cupcakes other than its conference opponents, had Baylor beaten Oklahoma, I don't know that they would have been in the playoff. Maybe it worked out to where they would have. But Baylor would have been a very controversial selection because they just lined up tomato cans to play in the non-conference. So you can you can schedule yourself out of a championship by making it too tough. You can schedule yourself out of one by making it too easy. And I know fans forever bitch about scheduling forever, but it's really, really hard to get it just right. Oh yeah. And speaking we since we're going down uh nostalgia lane you should check out breaking tea if you were looking for a last minute fun sports gift for the holidays go to breaking backslash locked on breaking tea makes sports t-shirts around teens passion moments great for all fans go to breaking backslash locked on and then feel free to search the site for great shirts and fun sports gifts um <clears throat> jimmy i thought bab online came out with something interesting the uh, the team of the decade for the 2010 uh, decade or 2000, what do you call it? 2010s or 2000 teens? I don't, you know, whatever. Who gives a damn? Yeah, what are um, Let's go, I guess the teens, the 2000 teens. Let's yeah, but there are three non-teens in it. That's right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, a whole 30 percent of it is non-teen. Although, try yeah. to tell a 12 year old they're not a teen. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, they're, they're, I, I can't. I've got a 12-year-old, and you cannot tell them that. Um, I okay. can't tell my three-year-old she's not eight. So, I mean, whatever. <laughs> um, so, easy at quarterback, Tua Tungvaluwa, A.J. McCarron finished well, the second. I mean, that's a no-brainer. Well, I would, before we go easy, I wouldn't say easy. Now, I would, I would select Tua. But, again, w- 
there's there's never going to be a criteria that's laid out like okay this is the criteria we're choosing by they just say this is the best team of the decade so are we going by pure talent then then it's to a by a landslide but if you're going by accomplishment it, it, you have to lay out the resumes of Tua, McCarron, and Jalen Hurts, uh, and, and probably it goes to McCarron. Uh, but, but I mean, if we're just going by who was the best quarterback at Alabama in, in the in the 20-teens, uh, I, I think almost everyone agrees, and I know me and you certainly do, it's Tua. But uh, if we're going to gauge by accomplishment, it becomes an extremely interesting discussion. Who accomplished more wins? championships and individual honors that's what i'm talking about wins championships individual honors then it becomes a heck of a discussion between aj mccarron jalen hurts and Tua tungavaloa heck for well, poker he won a national title yeah but i'm going you know look the way i read this thing and the way i would do it um would be because if you just go by accomplishments then i think you're you could really throw in guys that maybe aren't quite as disturbing. I'm not saying A.J. McCarron isn't worthy of the discussion. I'm saying sometimes quarterbacks can get um, – they get too much heat sometimes, but they also get too much um, of yeah. the praise when right. their teams win. And, look, here's the thing. Alabama was clearly the most dominant offense they've ever had with Tua Tungvaluwa. And, yep. you know, A.J. McCarron – yeah, if AJ McCarron had, you know, Jerry Judy and Jalen Waddle and and Henry Ruggs and Devontae Smith, maybe he would have had been a little bit more prolific too. I mean, he's he's he was working with some pretty good receivers, but not receivers of that caliber. Yeah, um, he had one but, one year where his receiving core was Hanks and Mays, and we yeah, won a national I mean, championship. And the, but the other side of that is he also had some badass running backs, and if Tua had some of those yeah. running backs, what he had, oh my God. But anyway, and we only had to score 14 points to win the game. Back right. then, we scored 14. We're going to win every week. Now, now that so I think AJ game. was great. Oh, so it is for, tough. AJ was great for what we needed him to be. There's no doubt. He goes down. It's probably the <clears throat> in the top five of Alabama all-time quarterbacks. But Tua goes down as the best. Whether he comes back next year or not is irrelevant. Um, yep. Running back. The only put, we agree. We agree on Tua. I'm just saying that with no criteria. That makes that like okay. What what are we evaluating here? But best quarterback at Alabama in the in the twenty teens to a tongue of Iowa. Okay, who do you think they have? You seen the list, by the way? No, no, no. Okay. This is all new. This is all news to me. I've been Christmasing. Who did? Who do you think they put at running back? That's also going to be tough. I would almost like to study it and look at rushing numbers in the decade. See, do you count Mark Ingram because? He played in yes. 2010. I think no. I, I, he only played in 2010. Uh, I would say uh, I would I would have Trent Richardson based on what he did at Alabama. Uh, Trent finished what third in the Heisman. Uh, Derrick he Henry, you have to put Derrick Henry uh, because well, there's only one running Heisman back. They only put one running back. If there's one Derrick Henry, yeah, that's who they went with, and I agree. I mean, he set the single season. Mark for SEC, um, right. uh, you know he's he's got the I think yeah, he's got the record for SEC touchdowns. Does he not? He might. He might. Any any one of Heisman. Andy's been good in the NFL and one of Heisman won a national championship. 
It has to be Derek if you're picking one, but if you're picking two, three, and four, man, it can be really, really difficult. Like I said, Mark Ingram only played one year in this decade and didn't have a great year because he was hurt. And then right. Trent Richardson, who's gonna, and, and who's going to be unfairly colored by his failing failure NFL career. Uh, TJ Yeldon was totally underrated by the fans the whole time, but he put up great career career numbers. Eddie Lacy was good. Drake was good. Damian Harris has great career numbers. Um, so, hey, a really tough one to get beyond Derek. But if we're picking one, Derek Henry. All right. And then we get to wide receivers. Um, yeah, it's, it's difficult. Now, I will say they do count Julio Jones. So just go ahead. And, I mean, I'll spoil that. He's on there. Well, and how many receivers? Three? Three, three. It's hard not to count Julio, but keeping in mind, this is the best team of this decade, and Julio just played in 2010. Uh, you know, 2010 was the only season he played in this decade, but Julio is just so – Julio is Julio. Yeah, I, I would – first of all, if, if, if it's one, I would go with Amari Cooper, if it's one, because Cooper played his entire career in this decade. Um, but Cooper, Julio – Yeah, where I'm stuck myself is between Calvin Ridley and Jerry Judy. I'm not sure which one to pick. Well, you got the, the four two. right, and they got Judy in there with Cooper and Jones, and I think that's the way to go. And Ridley is what they call the backup, and I think that's the way you go with this. Um, and we, so we're going I guess, to. But I guess, but Judy, and it's not his fault, but Judy had to split so many catches. Uh, and 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 put yeah, I, I put Judy ahead of Ridley, but I almost feel bad doing it because that, that's that's a tough call. Julio and Cooper have to be one and two, even though Julio only played one season in the decade. All right, tight end, and not a lot of discussion here because there weren't OJ. a lot of options, frankly. OJ well, and then OJ, Irv Smith. Irv, Irv is a heck of a player, and and we've had some good all around tight ends, but yeah, no question, it's OJ Howard. Uh, the offensive line's interesting. <sighs> They have five and, of course, um, one backup. Their offensive line was Cam Robinson, Chance Warmack, Ryan Kelly, Barrett Jones, and Jonah Williams. Hard to argue. Their backup was DJ Fluker. And I guess I could make the the argument, even though Barrett Jones, I think, is the most decorated college yeah, football yeah. lineman of all time, I could make the argument that I would rather have DJ Fluker in there or I would put Barrett Jones at center like he was um, yep. in the 2012 season and take Ryan Kelly out. But Ryan Kelly is still a, a big-time starter in the NFL, looking good. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know where to go here. I feel like DJ Fluker should be on in the starting lineup. But frankly, I'm not sure who to take out. And Jonah Williams is was awesome. Cam Robinson's not a debate. Chance Warmack was dominant in college. I, I mean, shoot, I, I guess they yep. got it right. Yeah, uh, I would leave it just like it is, but agree that Fluker's super deserving. There's probably other names we could also come up with. Heck, Jed Wills. I mean, yeah. I, I, I think Jed Wills is like, when he goes on the top 10 of this upcoming draft, we're going to be looking back on his career and going, how in the hell didn't he get more attention? Because he was a great player. He was also a great player from the minute he showed up. People don't remember, but Leatherwood was the, the, the hyped offensive line signee, and Wills was clearly ahead of Leatherwood day one. Wills showed right. up ahead of Leatherwood, played as a true freshman, then 
was a dominant, and, and we have to remember this, he's been the right tackle during Tua. So really, Jed Wills has been the left tackle because he, he's been protecting the blind side of the greatest passer in the history of Alabama football and is going to be a top 10 pick in the draft and has a 3.77 GPA in finance, one of the hardest majors on the whole campus. Um, I, I think in retrospect, we look back going, how in the hell did we make a bigger deal of that dude? Because he, he's been fantastic, and 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 uh, I guess his uh, his paycheck is soon to prove it. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about it, and he's he is going to make so a bunch of money. So I hate leaving Wills out. I do too, but I think that it's right now it's the right call. I guess just the it's like reverse recency bias. <laughs> um, <laughs> it really is because it normally is a major recency bias. But you know, leaving Fluker out is terrible. Leaving Wills out is terrible. But who are you going to leave out and just proof uh, this has been uh, the best decade of Alabama offensive linemen in the history of the school? There, there's no question about that. Um, okay, defensive line. Who do you? Where do you think everybody <sighs> went here? <sighs> did they, did they count Darius as part of this uh, decade? Yes. I guess you have to include him. Uh, Jonathan Allen would be number one for me, even ahead of Darius, in terms of what he did on the field at Alabama. I mean, Jonathan Allen finished in the top ten of the Heisman voting. Yeah, he did. Uh, <clears throat> I'd go – how many are listed, four or three? Just three. I'd go Allen, Darius, and maybe Ashawn Robinson. All right, well, here's – they actually put Darius as a backup, have Allen, Quinnen Williams, and Ashawn Robinson. And I Quinn, I think, again, I think they yeah, got it right. Allen and, Quinn, but, Allen and yep. Quinnen are just you, – you, they have to be in. Darius Ashawn, even Jaron Reed, who who was there just briefly, but one hell of a football player. <sighs> yeah, Allen, Allen and Quinnen, they're the they're your headliners. They're the two head. Deron Payne, Deron Payne. Yeah, yeah. I, I might would go Allen, Quinnen, and Deron Payne ahead of the others. Ahead of yeah, that's what I do. That's me. That's me. I got. I would have Deron Payne ahead of Darius, who only played. 2010, and he was off to the pros. Uh, and Ashawn was a really good player at Alabama, but I wouldn't say at any point did I say things like, Ashawn Robinson's the best defensive lineman in this league. I don't think I ever said yeah. that because it, it was never true. So Duran may, may have been. So I, I say that's where they finally skewed off course. I, I put Duran Payne in there. Well, not only that, Duran Payne's the only one I think that had a touchdown of that bunch, right? Yeah, and, and, and an MVP performance in a playoff game. <laughs> well, of course, Darius did that too, but Darius did an 09. That was yeah. an 09 thing. And I would definitely yeah. have Darius on the 2000 to 2009 All Decade team. So oh, yeah. I'm, not really, I'm not really dissing Darius. He, he headlines the 2000 to 2009 team. So, yeah, I say, Duran, that's where they, they finally got it wrong. And I think you agree. Yeah, I do. Um, so, and we got to go a little bit quicker now for these others, but this is a weird one. Outside linebacker. I mean, they're just, it's, there's not, I mean, look, to us, they're headliners. Tim Williams and Courtney Upshaw back up Ryan Anderson. But I think nationally, people would be like, wait a minute, those are the three best outside linebackers Alabama's had? 
I mean, they, and I'm not taking a shot at these guys. I think Ryan Anderson's awesome. He's in the NFL kicking butt right now. He caused three fumbles a week ago. Courtney Upshaw and Tim Williams both played in the NFL for quite some time. But it does seem like it, it should have been better than that. Yeah, we, I, I think that's a position that we've been – I am not going to use the word average because that's just not right. But we – if you take all the positions on defense – Every position on defense during the Saban era, we've been less awesome at outside linebacker than any other position on the field on defense. I think that's true, right? I totally better agree. on the defensive line. Oh, yeah. So that's why that list is pedestrian to them. I will say this Tim Williams, his final year at Alabama, remember that A day when we couldn't even practice? Yeah. You know, and Nick, Nick famously said, well, we can't even practice because Tim's too good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Courtney Upshaw was a great player on the field at Alabama, even though he might not have gotten the national attention he deserved. Uh, I don't dispute the picks. I, I, I would take Upshaw and Williams even over Ryan Anderson and some others. But yeah, I, I, I get. I, I can't. N- nobody leaps to mind that that's better that played outside exclusively. And uh, let's take this opportunity to uh, say Terrell Lewis, you should have been on that list. And I know you were oh, hurt. Oh God! I know you were. I know you were hurt. I know you were injured. But you are not injured this season. You should have been on this list, and you're not. Oh God! There's, okay. I mean, that is a great call right there. My goodness gracious! I mean, I mean should have been, but huh, he, he should have well been enough. the guy. He should have been the yeah. one that we go. Oh, that's a no-brainer. I mean, Terrell Lewis is on that list. I mean, <laughs> yep. But instead, that's why he's, he's going to go in the mid rounds of the draft? He's nowhere near this no, list. No, no. I mean, probably not in the top ten. Maybe not even in the uh, top ten. Now we do get interesting with inside linebackers, though, oh, um, and they go deep with greatness. And they go. Here's the thing. Oh, oh, oh! Orlando wasn't on that 2010 team. I was about, okay. He wasn't on that. 2010 uh, team. Yeah, he, he got wasn't. drafted after 09. Yeah. So C.J. Mosley and Dante Hightower is who they go with. Hard to dispute. But then you realize the backup is Reuben Foster, and I'm kind of like, eh. I, look, hey, this. I, I, I go Ruben over Hightower based on what they did at Alabama because I think Hightower's career is colored a little bit by the fact he's been what amounts to a borderline Hall of Fame player in the NFL. Uh, yeah. Because Hightower was hurt at Alabama, missed a season, and then when he came back, I don't think he was the same player for a while. I think I think his year after the injury, we saw just – less than 100% high tower who then later found who, who later became 100% in the NFL. Um for that reason I would go with Ruben. Also think Reggie Raglan deserves a lot of mention, huh. but I I, I say yeah. CJ and Ruben. Yeah, I think that's that's good calls right there. Um you know Dante Hightower though, I mean I can't like I remember he's the one that calls the sack in the LSU game that got him back uh, behind the 50 <laughs> and that was pretty kick-ass on that fourth down play um so yep. but I, I i'm have a hard time going against uh 
Hightower, but I think you're right. I think I would go with Ruben and just, you know, say, hey, I'm Dante. And still, Dante, to this day, had the most intimidating recruit profile picture I'd ever seen. Remember, he had like a <laughs> some kind of funky Jay-Z looking jacket on, and he was it was sort of like hanging off his shoulders. And he looked like a guy who would just assume, like, if you come up to him and say, what time is it? He'd be like, well, you want to fight about it? I mean, it seems like that's the kind of thing he'd say. Um, I mean, just I'd rather just fight about what time it is. Let's just fight about it. Nick you Saban recently said, Nick, Nick recently said among all the recruits he's evaluated at Alabama, the one he felt most confident would be a great player in the SEC was Hightower. Really? That's what, he, that's what Nick said. Yeah, and that shows how good of an evaluator Nick is because that's a strange pick for me. My mom probably would have been Julio, but, but yeah, but he. Um, okay. I don't know if it's true or not. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's true or not uh, because you hear just funny stories and rumors and legends. So I don't know that it's true or not. But but I think I remember a story when when Nick watched tape of Julio Jones for the very first time. He had just gotten off the plane. Julio was a junior. I think when, when Nick got off the plane and he's one of the first prospects he was shown, he just watched a handful of snaps and said, uh, yeah, um, he could play for me with the Dolphins. I don't know that that's yeah, true. Either, I, much well, if we're just going to make up stories, I remember one time, <laughs> I remember one time <laughs> DJ, uh, Nick Saban saw a film of uh, Henning's Jester and said, that guy cannot play for me at the Dolphins. No, I don't know. Um <laughs> <laughs> and I know it's Jennings Hester, but we we have always laughed. It's either Hennings Jester or Jester Hennings. Nobody can prove it's one way or the other. Whatever. Um, just kidding, Jennings. Um, what a big uh, fan right. of the show. He is a big fan of the show. Uh, it's just it's all in fun. It's Christmas. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Um, cornerbacks. They have Marlon Humphrey and D. Milner, and the backup is Dre Kirkpatrick. And you know what? I think they got it right. Don't be swayed by the fact that Dre has had the better NFL career. I Although think they Marlon's got closing right. fast on that. Marlon's well, no, I'm saying I'm play. saying over D. Milner. Marlon's a no-brainer. Yeah, right. He, he is. And here, I'm about to say something really controversial. Again, it gets to criteria. On all of these tight teams, you can't help but be shaded by what they've done in the NFL. It's 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 impossible to ignore it. Yet it shouldn't come close to counting for anything. It should right. only be what they did at Alabama. And it's funny how every all-time quarterback list you see at Alabama has names on it like Namath and Stabler, who no doubt were great quarterbacks at Alabama, but they didn't win the Heisman. They, they, weren't, they weren't the best quarterback in college football when they were at Alabama. I mean, Namath got hurt like to a, to a style. Uh, I'm just saying that I think the NFL careers shade how we view guys. And I will tell you this, this sounds crazy, but his senior year, maybe the best cornerback of the decade was Cyrus Jones in terms of what he did at Alabama, in terms of what he did at Alabama. It may have been Cyrus, but, but D Milner, Dre, Marlin, Good football players. I mean, good football players. And people forget how good D was. And and then he got hurt. Again, shaded by the NFL, uh, not having much of an NFL career. Uh, Yeah, I'd say Marlon. 
I would say Marlin and D with Dre as my backup is fair, although I'm interested in hearing pitches for, again, Cyrus Jones uh, and right. maybe maybe others. All right, really quickly because we're, we're running out of time here on our free app that we uh, cheaply <laughs> use instead of paying for extra time. Uh, safeties are, <clears throat> and this is interesting, Minka Fitzpatrick and Mark Barron, that's a sick duo. But the backups are Ha-Ha Clinton Dix and Landon Collins, and I could make the argument that's who I'd go with. Yes. Uh, I, I, I'm, I, my, my, it's Minka and Landon. That, and I'm with you. Barron. Yeah, I love, I love Barron, too. I love yeah. him. But, 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 no, it's Landon and Minka. And to me, even though we have so many great candidates there, let's not even forget Xavier McKinney, who's a heck of a player. But, yeah. but no, it, it, it's, it's Landon and Minka, and to me, that's not even close, which is saying a lot. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. And, you know, because when I think you can organize it by, all right, how do you remember these guys? That And for me, I would say it's closer for HaHa making the making my list mm-hmm. than it is for Mark Barron, because I remember HaHa with the interception against Notre Dame, which was just disgusting on that first possession yep. of the second half they had. And then I remember Landon Collins saving our bacon against Arkansas, a team that had no business hanging with us um, on a, a trick play that they ran, and he's able to make the interception on a comebacker. Um, and then, of course, Minka Fitzpatrick, I mean, pick a game. But, I mean, for the most part, I would say the A&M game where he had two reception, interceptions for, for a touchdown or the, uh, the Arkansas game where he had three uh, interceptions. So and Barron hadn't even been a safety in the NFL. Right. It's been a lot. Right. That's right. Now, and again, we're going against our own grain shading, you know, what what we've been talking about. But I I still believe. To me, Landon was the best player on the team. His his last year at Alabama, I think it was 2014, when when, when we weren't that awesome on defense for the first time in a while, (laughs) Landon was the best player on the field. He was still our best player. And Landon gets some extra points for just – Speaking of throwing shade at his mama on at the Under Armour All American game, I mean, she's like, mm-hmm, "I want you to go to LSU," and he's like, "I don't give a shit. I'm going to Alabama." I mean, that's badass. A coach, a coach, a coach, a coach oh. on that team told me that we had to play Landon at safety because we had no other option. But had he played star, had he played star, he might have won the National Defensive Player of the Year. Good Lord. Oh, and, and how, about, how about his interception uh, in the Tennessee game, like right at the end of the half? Uh, I mean, we were beating their ass, but he returns it for a touchdown like 90-something yards. Uh, I mean, he you know, he just had so many great moments. Um, he was just a superstar. And he still is a superstar. I mean, I saw him yesterday. He played really well uh, for Washington, and even though um, – they lost the game, but they they played pretty well. Hey, Cam, uh, Cam Sims had a big catch in that game. And finally, all purpose, they have Eddie Jackson, which is hard to debate. I mean, he's he was a badass. Yep. Um, and Good you got to put him on the field somewhere. And their backup is Christian Jones. I would make the argument it should be Jalen Waddle at this point. Uh, I couldn't agree more. No shot at Christian Jones, who really helped us win a lot of games and was a good player. Um, when you said all purpose, the first name that came to mind for me was actually Jalen Waddle, and, and I might have said Waddle, but Eddie Jackson, we need to apologize to him every day from not being the punt returner from the minute he stepped on campus instead of just his final season, basically. Yeah. Uh, 
Eddie Jackson was such a dominant punt returner and then throw in the fact, oh, yeah, an All-American safety and it's been great in the NFL. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I would say Eddie over Jalen Waddle. And uh, these kids that show up at the end of the decade and play like one or two seasons in the decade and then one season the following decade, they get kind of screwed on these teams. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. There's no doubt about it. Well, we've got we are running out of time. If we don't speak to you guys, uh, you know, by Christmas, Merry Christmas and uh, Happy Hanukkah. And as Krusty the Clown said, he said, "Everybody have a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, and a crazy Kwanzaa." That was Krusty the Clown <laughs> from Simpsons. Know, that was Krusty that. the Clown. And and so, uh, yes, and when we get back from the break, if there is a break, uh, the team flies to Orlando on Friday. I believe it is, and uh, or the team meet meets in Orlando on Friday. So our focus will shift to beating the Michigan Wolverines. Bludgeoning, bludgeoning. Let's hope so. All right, buddy. Merry Christmas to you too. In case I don't talk to you. Merry Christmas to you, Luke, and all your hundred children. I hope they all have a Merry Christmas. And uh, everybody, uh, thank you so much for uh, for listening. And uh, we, we do this show because uh, because you guys listen, and, and that, that's why we're doing it. We're doing it for, for, for you guys that listen, and thank you so much, and I hope you and all of your families have a very Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. Yeah, you know, I have so many kids, all my stockings are just ankle socks. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Have a good one, everybody. Roll Tide. Roll Tide.